0: Back in August, I had the chance to speak at a retreat on discipleship. I gave three talks on the crisis of commitment, how we can seek first the kingdom in a me first world. Today's bonus audio is the first talk in that series, and it's all about committing to Christ. The writer of Proverbs had it right when he pointed out that many claim to be loyal, but who can find a person who is truly committed? I hope you'll listen to this talk, but even more, that you'll be one of the few who not only claims to be loyal to Christ, but one who lives out a radical commitment to Him in your everyday life. 2,000 years ago, a man sat down to write a letter. This man was part of that first generation of people to believe in and follow Jesus as the Messiah. And he was writing to his fellow believers. Now, this man had things to say. He knew Jesus very well. In fact, he had known Jesus his entire life because he had grown up with Jesus. You see, Jesus was his older half-brother. This man's name was Jude. Now, when Jude sat down to write his letter, he had a topic in mind. But he found that he couldn't write about the subject that he intended to. He had wanted to write his fellow believers about the salvation that they shared in common. But he found there was a more pressing issue that needed to be addressed. And so he switched gears and he wrote a letter urging his fellow believers to defend the faith that God had entrusted to them. And I think that there are a lot of things, important things, that we could talk about this weekend. There are a lot of topics, good topics, that we are fond of. But as I thought about our time together this weekend, like Jude I believe that there is a pressing issue that we need to focus on. I believe it is the issue of our time for those of us who claim to have faith in Jesus. Like Jude, I believe that true faith is under attack. But I also believe that regular, ordinary people like me and you can rise up and defend it. In fact, I believe that the choices we here tonight make going forward will have an important say in whether the day is won or lost. Now, Jude and his fellow believers had to defend the faith against the threats they faced in their generation. And you can read about it in Jude's letter in the New Testament. But what about us? What is the threat that we face in our time? I believe we are facing a crisis of commitment in the church, the likes of which we haven't seen for centuries. The enemy we face is shallow devotion, easy believism, consumer Christianity, the promise of discipleship without cost, the epidemic of chronic immaturity among God's people. And we're so clueless in our insincerity, that we don't even recognize the threat. To us, this is what normal looks like. Now, against this threat, the church has offered fog machines, feel-good music, and celebrity pastors. We've settled for trying to win people's loyalty and attention for two hours every Sunday morning, and maybe a gift left in the offering plate. After all, something has to pay the bills and keep the show going. And what I want to talk with you about this weekend is an entirely different way of approaching your life and approaching your faith. I want to talk with you about seeking first the kingdom of God. About looking this crisis of commitment squarely in the face. About surrendering yourself fully to the Lord Jesus And then living out your faith in a way that guarantees that your life will look radically different than 99% of the people around you. You see, the greatest threat to the devotion of the American Christian is not the devil. It's the American dream. You're going to be hard-pressed to sink life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You're going to be hard-pressed to go through life demanding your rights, while at the same time making yourself a slave to all so that you might win a few to Jesus. Now, all of us, were are shaped by our culture, by the society that we find ourselves in, by the time that we live in. And we're shaped in ways that we can't even recognize. There's a story about two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming in the opposite direction. He nods at them and says, Morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and says, What the heck is water? You have to take the time, to make the effort, to step outside of yourself so you can see the bigger picture of what God is doing, so you can develop a kingdom perspective. And then you have to commit to living a life shaped by that perspective. Hypocrisy is inevitable when what we live for and value Monday through Saturday doesn't match what we worship on Sunday. To live in your generation with God's perspective is discipleship, and it will always look radical. Two of the great figures in the Old Testament are Joseph and Moses. Both of them were shaped not only by their time, but by how they chose to live in response to their time. And to trace, the arc of these two men's lives is fascinating. So Joseph, as you recall, started out very privileged, the favorite son of a wealthy father. But as a teenager, his life took a dark turn and was shattered by betrayal and injustice. And then after years of suffering, he was elevated to a place of great honor, power, and influence. And through all the ups and downs of those years, he stayed loyal to God. And later in life, he could look at those who had wronged him and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph was able to connect everything that had happened to God shaping him and using him for a greater purpose. He was committed to God. In contrast, Moses started out life about as unprivileged as you can get. Born into slavery, he barely survived genocide at birth, but then he hit the jackpot. He was adopted by a royal family and spent years at the pinnacle of luxury, power, and wealth. And then he did the unthinkable. As he entered adulthood, he chose to turn away from this life of power and privilege and to devote himself to God and to a higher purpose instead. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to share the oppression of God's people rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches ...than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking to the reward. Now, I want to ask you, who had the more difficult path? Joseph or Moses? Now, both are great examples, right? But what's harder, to endure faithfully under forced adversity... ...or to turn away from wealth, privilege, and comfort... ...and choose adversity of your own volition... I don't know that we can answer the question. All any of us can do is choose to live faithfully in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But I can say this for most of us here tonight, the path we walk will resemble Moses's more than Joseph's. We live in unparalleled times. We live in the wealthiest, freest society that has ever existed in the history of the world, and our devotion to Christ is being crippled by it. We grow up surrounded by water and never realize it. Who among us will refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and choose instead to suffer the oppression of God's people? Who will consider the reproach of Christ greater riches Than the treasures of Egypt. Such a life can only be lived by those who have committed themselves to God. And that commitment starts with perspective. Joseph had his dreams, Moses was looking to the reward, and we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Only when we recognize who Jesus is and respond in commitment to him are we able to live a life of radical devotion and to seek first his kingdom. You and I are called to belong to Christ and live for Christ in this generation, to be all in for Him right where He has placed us. And this is the first and foundational commitment that we're going to talk about this weekend. Commitment to Christ. But before you can commit to Christ, you have to recognize who He is. And Jesus is worthy of, of our highest commitment, because he's unlike any other person who has ever walked on the face of the earth. So here are just a few of the ways that Jesus is unique among men. Jesus is the only man whose life preexisted his birth. Unlike us, he chose to be born. He chose to come into this broken world. Jesus is the only man who has lived a perfect life. Unlike us, He never made a mistake. He never gave in to temptation. Jesus is the only one who has sacrificed Himself for the sins of mankind. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the only man who has overcome death and the grave. He alone possesses what the writer of Hebrews calls an indestructible life. Jesus is the only one who has been given all authority, all power, in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the only one who has been given a name that is above all names. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus alone has been given all judgment. He is the one we will all one day stand before and be accountable to. No one else. He's the only one whose opinion and judgment of you matters. And Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and the life," No one comes to the Father but through me. He wasn't boasting. He wasn't being disrespectful to other religious faiths. He was simply stating the truth. No other person who has walked the earth can match who Jesus is or what he has accomplished. In fact, no other person or faith even attempts to make such claims. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Now, you'll remember that Acts 2 describes the coming of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus during the Feast of Pentecost, ten days after Jesus had ascended to the Father. The Spirit comes upon them, and they all begin to, to speak about the mighty works of God, but they're speaking in foreign languages. And travelers, foreigners from all over the world who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast began to recognize their native tongues, and they began to listen to what Jesus' disciples were saying. A crowd gathers, and Peter ends up sharing the good news about Jesus with them. Now, this is an important moment. It's the first instance of evangelism, of a follower of Jesus sharing the message about Jesus with non-followers in the New Testament right here in Acts chapter 2. So, what was his message? What did he say? This this first instance of evangelism in Acts 2. And I want to draw your attention to verses 36 through 38 because this was how Peter ended what he shared. Verse 36. Everyone needs to know that God has made him both Lord and Christ Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. And so the good news is about recognizing who Jesus is. And here, Peter says that God has made him two things. What are they? God has made him both Lord and Christ. And we have to recognize that. That's what Peter, that was the finale. Everyone needs to know, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So that's what we need to recognize. But then we have to respond to it. And that's what we see the people doing in verse 37. Brothers, what shall we do? Because when you recognize who Jesus is, you have to respond. It's not enough to know who He is. Recognize and respond. That's the call to action. Peter tells them, repent. Turn away from your old life, the old life that looks just like everyone else's around you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Become marked as one of His people through baptism and begin begin living a new resurrection life. You see, You don't accept Jesus as your Savior. No. You recognize that He is the Savior, that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then you respond to that by putting all of your trust in Him. You don't make Jesus Lord. You have nowhere near enough power to do that. No, you recognize that God has made him Lord. And then you respond by submitting yourself to his authority. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. You submit your life to Jesus because God has made him Lord. You recognize who he is and you respond to it. And Jesus wants so much more from us than an emotional moment and the sinner's prayer. He wants your uncompromised allegiance. He wants you to live for Him. Or in the words of Paul, he wants to live His life through yours. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, in this time, in this place, in this generation, the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I truly believe this. If you don't start here tonight with this committing of yourself to Christ, with this surrender of all that you are because of everything He is, the rest of this weekend will hold little value for you. And you'll leave here unchanged. This is the starting point. Chances are you'll go through life playing a game when it comes to your faith, going through the motions, checking the box every Sunday for two hours. You'll have moments, emotional highs when the music stirs you. You'll feel brief times of conviction when the sermon hits too close to home. But then life will return to normal. You'll be a fish happily swimming through water. One thing is certain. If you don't make this commitment to Christ, you won't seek first the kingdom of God. So tonight, will you, like Moses, refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Will you consider the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of America? Will you be crucified with Christ so that He can live His life through you in this time, in your generation, in this place? Will you rise up and defend the faith that God has entrusted to us? Will you commit to Christ? Let's pray. Lord, just looking at your creation, It's beautiful, and it's a reminder that you are a good God, a God who has our ultimate good in mind. So I pray for each of us that are here tonight, each of us that are here this weekend, that you would help us to rise up and defend the faith that has been entrusted to us. Uh, We are here in 2018, thousands of years Um, Since you walked the earth, Lord Jesus, and there have been faithful men and women who have committed to living their lives for you in their generation, in the places where you put them. And I want to pray especially for the younger men and women that are here tonight, Lord, that they would catch a vision for the purpose that you have for their lives in their generation, in the place where you've put them and that they would be all in for you, Lord Jesus. I pray for the rest of our time together this weekend, that you would help us to really flesh out what this commitment looks like to belong to you and to live for you. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message.